Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor is one of those vac vocations that is really hard to separate from the person. It's not the only one, but it's one of them where you can't just sort of take off your pastor collar and say, okay, for the next, I'm no longer somebody set aside by Christ to bring his gospel to people. Once a pastor, always a pastor. Although there are people that leave the ministry. And it's always a little bit shocking to those of us who really do take seriously that idea of once a pastor, always a pastor. I remember once my senior pastor in Houston, Texas, telling me the story of a colleague of his who left the ministry to go and become a police officer. He said, now, why, why would you do that? I'm familiar, and so was my senior pastor, with people that were police officers who retired and became pastors. But it's pretty rare to see it go the other way. And he said, well, to be honest with you, I was sick and tired of people not listening to me or doing what I say. Now that I've got a gun, they have to listen to me and do what I ask. And maybe that's the reason why some, not all obviously, but a very small number of my classmates in seminary ended up leaving the Lutheran church to either become Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic. They wanted to be priests. They wanted to be able to tell people what to do and have them listen. They wanted to be able to give orders and commands and explain to people all of the steps to follow to get into God's good graces. They wanted to be able to lay out the program for being a Christian. Here is the path to follow. Here is the door to go through. Here are the indulgences that you need to acquire. Here are the masses you have to attend. Here's the sacraments you need to participate in. And if you do X, Y, and Z perfectly and walk through just the right mercy door at the right time, then you will find yourself reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of the blessed. The thing is, if you read the Gospels really closely, which I hope you all do, not just here when we get together on Sunday, but as part of your own devotions, you get a very different kind of Jesus. You don't get a commanding officer, general of the army kind of Lord. Jesus doesn't go around to everybody and say, Peter, you do this, and John, you do that, and you people in Capernaum, here's the set of three things that you need to do, and you, Pilate, sit down. I'm going to tell you who's in charge of this place. Instead, Jesus persuades. He encourages. He exhorts. He tells stories. And yes, sometimes he even offers words of warning. This morning, he certainly does that. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, that does sound a little bit like a command. Strive to enter through the narrow door. But actually, it's not. A more wooden and difficult to read, but perhaps a little bit more truthful translation of the Greek here would sound a little bit like this. Always be making the case for why you should come through the controlled gate. Now that doesn't quite trip off your tongue, 
the way our translation does, which is exactly why the ESV puts it that way. You got to kind of unpack this idea of making a case and a controlled gate. Now, a controlled gate means this isn't just any old gate into the temple. This is a gate where we have government people that are there that are checking passports. It's like the customs officers and immigration officials at Trudeau Airport or down at Saint-Valnat de la Cale or at any other border crossing. These are the people making sure you are allowed to come in. And when you get to that border crossing, you've got to make the case. Why do you get to come to Canada? Why do you get to go back to France? Why are you allowed into the United States? You can't just be any Tom, Dick, and Harry and be allowed to pass through. Now, here's the thing about making your case. We humans, when we are asked to make our case for something, immediately try and justify ourselves. We want to know what the orders are, what the list is that we can check off and say, you have to let me in because I have done X and Y and Z. I filled out the proper paperwork. I got my passport, which in and of itself is a miracle. You should be kneeling and thanking God that your passport actually came. But after that, you will seek to justify your entry. That's the same thing we try and do with God. The minute we hear strive to enter through the narrow door or make your case for why you should be in, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Why God should allow me to recline at table with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and his two wives plus two concubines, perhaps. You try and explain to God why you should be allowed to come in. Well, I know you, Jesus. You were eating and drinking in our presence. You taught in our streets. We hung around you. We saw you. We even have an autograph on our prayer shawl that you put on there when you came by. That's why you have to let us in. But because we are always justifying ourselves, our temptation is to lose sight of Jesus. Worse than that, most self-justifications are hypocritical. We try and put our best foot forward, right? When you go into a job interview, the person that you are presenting to the people that are interviewing you is not just regular old you. It's the best you. And all the terrible things about you, you try and leave behind outside the door. That's why everybody trips over that job interview question. What are your three greatest weaknesses? And of course, we all know the joke about everyone's weaknesses being that I'm a workaholic. I want everything to be done perfectly. And I always get my work done on time. It's like, what well, are those weaknesses or strengths? Well, you wouldn't tell them that your weaknesses are that you've got to have coffee every hour and a half that you take frequent bathroom breaks. And if you don't get your five weeks of vacation every year, you're going to be a really miserable worker. Those are not the weaknesses that you're going to put out there. You make a front, don't you? Self-justification brings hypocrisy. You don't go up to the border agent and say, well, you know, I've kind of sped on the highways a little bit. I might do that in this country too. You know, sometimes I, I have a drink 
and, and, and then I don't wait, you know, the three hours before getting behind the wheel. And I have thought about stealing some stuff, but it's okay if I come to your country, right? No, you show up at the border crossing with a happy face and everyone's smiling and we are the perfect family. You have to let us in because we will bless your country with every moment that we stay here. And every person in that car or all of you together in a group know this is a lie. This isn't who you are, but you have to justify yourself. You check off the list. Here are the things we need to do. And once I've done these things, you need to let me through the narrow door. This will not work with Jesus. And the reason it doesn't work with Jesus is sadly, he knows you. And he knows me. You might pull a fast one with the customs agents. You can't pull a fast one with the Lord. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And the chief work of evil is to lie to the Lord your God about who you are. About the things that go on in your mind when nobody is paying attention or even when they are. The things that dwell in your heart, the thoughts that you have when you see somebody that is asking for your help. Oh my gosh, I'm late already. I don't have time for this. Some of you might have heard of this study that was done at the seminary in Princeton, where they had this group of seminarians read together the parable of the Good Samaritan. And then they told one group of seminarians that they had to rush to this next building over because in five minutes they were going to have to do a test. And the other group of seminarians, they just told them to make their way to the next building for the rest of their classes. And in between the two buildings, there was a man injured, bleeding, needing help, crying out audibly for help. And yes, the seminarians that were told that they needed to get to that next building in five minutes almost to a one, walked right past that man. I, a poor, miserable sinner. This is who we are. And the good news is that we do not have to lie to Jesus about it because he already knows. He doesn't want hypocrites in his church. He wants honesty because honesty is what creates a relationship. He wants to persuade you that you can be honest with him because he loves you to the point of being willing to be nailed up on a cross and bleed and die that you might be forgiven and that you might recline in the kingdom of God with Abraham and Sarah, with Isaac and Rebekah, with Jacob and their wives, with all the terrible things they did. Abraham, who lied about his wife, oh, isn't my sister? With Isaac, who couldn't even tell his two sons apart. Yeah, Esau, are you Jacob? I can't, I don't know. You're blessed. Or Jacob. And do we really need to go on about Jacob? There's a reason why he's known as the trickster. What made them able to recline at table in the kingdom of God? Not that they were great people but they had a relationship with God and they counted it more important that God knew them as they were and saved them anyway 
than that they try and go through a big checklist of self-justifications. But I went to mass, but I did the sacraments, but I did the liturgy correctly, but I did my devotions every morning. You have to let me in. No. The ones who get in are the ones whom Jesus knows because we have let him have his way with us. You know what destroys relationships? Lies. Always. Always think about it. Why do most marriages end in divorce? Lying about finances or lying about relationships? But they both come down to lies. We say, oh, it's because of money matters and sexual infidelity. No, it's because somebody was not being honest with the person who should be closest to them. It's why business partnerships fall apart. It's why political parties fall apart. It's why all relationships fall apart. Somebody is not telling the truth. The truth you hear now, the truth you hear today is that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He would give up everything to do it all over again. He wants you to recline at table with him in the kingdom of God. It is his highest priority, but he will not command it of you. He will not send people to order you around to fulfill a bunch of checklists to justify yourself for being there. He says, come to me as you are. Be honest. Don't lie. And I will be honest with you. I am the Lord your God. I have died for you on the cross. I have risen from the grave for you. I have opened the kingdom of heaven for you forever. I have called you by name in your baptisms. I feed you with my body and blood. I forgive your sins through people I send on my behalf. And I will be with you at the close of your life to bring you into my presence forever. I, Jesus, am telling you the truth. So that when you come to that door, you do not try and justify yourself. You do not try and go through the checklist. You do not say, I am owed this. I deserve it. I have done all the right things. No, you'll simply come to that door and say, I know you because you've told me you know me. You've been honest with me. And so I had the trust to be honest with you. And then you'll find yourself sitting with Abraham, who lied about his wife, with Isaac, who couldn't tell his sons apart, and with Jacob, the trickster, while all the holy hypocrites stand outside the door banging, trying to justify why they should be there. You will be brought in because Jesus knows where you come from. You come from Adam and Eve, yes, but you also come from that font where Jesus has claimed you as his own. I know where you come from, the Lord says. Come, the table is now ready. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We continue our worship this morning with the prayer. I invite you to rise.